Welcome to Diversify the Stand. Together we build a community to listen and learn from the stories and experiences of passionate musicians. I'm Carrie Blosser. And I'm Ashley Killam. In our second season, we talk with musicians, performers, educators, historians, and entrepreneurs to expand how we think of the music we perform and follow non-traditional career paths. For episode 13, we're joined by composer, video game designer, and creator Devin Clara Fonslow. Devin favors writing for unique instrumentation, and her recent compositions stem from a world-building project that she talks about in this episode that's influenced her game design and her musical visions. And as a transgender woman in the arts, she hopes to contribute to breaking down barriers of expectations from her unique lived experience. So Devin, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's uh, good to be here uh, amidst the sounds of my neighbors doing a lot of sawing or something. You gotta know that this is real. Definitely real. So we wanted to ask you, how did you get started in music? I guess when I started in music would have uh, loose, more loosely been when I was like seven years old. Uh, my sister started taking piano lessons and when she learned her first piece, I was like jealous and wanted to learn. And she stopped playing and then started dancing and she was great at that. Um, didn't want to dance, but uh, I was really bad at the piano. So I had that, uh, which is why I spent my entire childhood skateboarding and hating the piano. It was an awful experience. I considered it like um, water torture. I don't know. It, it was probably good that I learned how to like read music kind of early on. Um, and then I started playing trumpet in middle school, didn't really take it seriously until I was like a sophomore in high school. And I realized that like, when I hunkered down and actually practiced every day that it was pretty easy, at least in high school, to like get better than the baseline average <laughs> if you actually practiced. Um, and uh, so played an absolute shit ton of trumpet in high school, eventually went on to the music conservatory at Roosevelt University. Uh, for trumpet performance, transferred out of there to Ball State, uh, and finished my degree there in general studies. Because <laughs> I switched my major too many times, and I have ADHD, which was one of the reasons why um, my mom, at least, was so adamant in having me in piano lessons way back, that it would help, and I don't know if it did. <laughs> but I still had ADHD as an adult, and turns out it only gets worse. <laughs> Uh, so, like, you know, I wasn't a very good uh, student, um, and I, admittedly, I, I especially struggled in, like, music theory and, and those sorts of things, and I, uh, a general studies degree was, like, uh, basically two minors, um, and I, so I had, like, a, technically a minor in composition and a minor in uh, trumpet performance, and spent some time away from school, actually had almost a whole year where I didn't play any trumpet because I had hurt my jaw and I had TMJ and uh, then I did my graduate studies at DePaul University uh, and I got a master's in um, jazz composition. Uh, still play the trumpet a bit. Uh, I can only really play it in short spurts these days but it's a nice like record recording companion still and uh, and my, my primary instrument these days is actually the mandolin. That's awesome. And now you're going back to school for game development. How did you, how did that kind of transpire from all of this? Yeah, because I 
didn't become very theory literate until I was approaching my graduate for, uh, degree. I got most of my inspiration from the countless hours spent playing video games. Um, and so, I mean, like a lot of my early music was really just uh, inspired by video game music. I, I was done with uh, my jazz degree and I um, was kind of struggling financially and I ended up being homeless for a little while. So like, while that was kind of going on, you know, cause I couldn't do like anything, um, you know, and I was just like, it really like threw my priorities like out in the open. And it's like, you know, what do you really want to do with your life? And eventually when I was able to find housing again, um, you know, I, I just went hardcore practicing. I was just like, I need to like be a better musician for myself. And, and, uh, and a, a friend who was a really talented musician had also passed away recently. And I was, I kind of felt like I um, didn't want to like slack off because it's like he kind of like left this like void, you know, and it's, it's like that void just sh shouldn't be there. And, uh, you know, a lot of his friends kind of felt the same way. We all you know, started really just, you know, shedding essentially in memoriam. My music is almost always programmatic. So I started working on my own uh, sort of world building project. Yeah, and I'm like, this could be a video game. Yeah, I still really liked video games. They always said stay in school. So I started looking for <laughs> for another graduate program. Uh, it turns out DePaul had a good game design program. I already got one degree from DePaul. And so I just kind of like worked, um, worked my ass off uh writing tons and tons of dialogue and putting together a game design document and composing sent a lot of that stuff over and got accepted and now i just like i'm really interested in being like a narrative designer writer a composer sound designer on a um, game design uh game studio that would just be i don't know I, that to me just sounds like an ideal career and that sounds super interesting i I'd love to hear your take on how maybe you write. Does your writing style change at all if when you're writing for for like kind of game design versus like the work that you, we commissioned for you to do or other works that you've written in the past? Like, how does that is your process different or is it the same or what's that like for you? For sure, um, it's usually pretty different because it, it depends on you know like what kind of game I'm working on. Like if I'm just doing like a game jam or something. Uh, which like usually is, you know, make a game in 24 hours or 48 hours or something like that. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to fully compose some detailed work out. But, but usually like the main the main difference between writing for concert and writing for video games is either I'm working in a DAW more often than in a in notation software. And then um, usually the the details in the concert music is much more focused on, uh, you know, the the actual notes, uh, you know, the articulations and, and the expressive dynamics and, and more more details that are relevant to a live musician with human emotions than a computer who I will be, you know, manipulating the sound to precision. Um, just based off of my tastes at the time. That's awesome. There's so much there just with how you got to where you are and all the groups that you're a part of. And it just shows that there's so much beyond 
just like the you know university ensembles yeah and to be honest i found that stuff incredibly suffocating because <laughs> it's like i came here to play and, and and there's all this bureaucracy that's like keeping you from just playing you know and uh i found the favoritism and and uh privileges that other students have would literally suffocate you out of having the experience that you are essentially paying for and you know that's that's why i, I think like as much as I learned a ton from DePaul and, you know, I got a lot out of my lessons with like Chad McCullough and, and Bob Palmieri, I think that if you're not necessarily already at a professional level, like you don't need to be going to a big like conservatory level program or kids learn how to use Ableton or Bitwig or, or Reaper or something like get really good at music production. DAWs are the instruments of the future. Get with it. <laughs> I remember you talking about that in the virtual clinic and and you're so right because especially if, if the last essentially two years have taught anyone anything is that you can make music all by yourself and it can be super cool if you have the right technology in your home and you play, you can multi-track yourself, you can do anything with a, almost anything with the DAW. Yeah, and, and you know, synthesis is just you know, to the roof, like, you, it's, it's, uh, the, the more I've been getting into using synthesizers, it, the more I'm just like, oh my god, like, this never ends. <laughs> the, 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 the amount of sounds, the wealth of aesthetics and textures never ends. You know, and that isn't to say, like, you know, screw real instruments, like, we don't need those anymore, those are obsolete, like, no, definitely pick up an instrument also, because there's really nothing that matches the, f the feeling of uh, pr uh, acoustic production, you know, on your own, like the, the act of making an object vibrate. Synthesizers are emulating that. Um, and, and like, I think first and foremost, it's, it's super helpful. Like, even if you were like primarily wanting to be a, you know, producer, like pick up a saxophone. I don't know, like <laughs> it'll help. Here's a clip from a soundtrack that Devin created to the game called Lightsucker. We'd love to hear about uh, your experience transitioning um, kind of in the music world and if there were any like hurdles you experienced or, you know, if you have any advice for the trans community or for the cis community, educators, performers, this is kind of very open-ended. 
Yeah, extremely open-ended. Uh, so I mean, like transitioning as a as a musician, and, and I preface this with like, I the cis perspective. People who don't know what cis means, it just means not trans. Ten, on on trans people tends to be very focused on the experience of transition. In my view, especially after the first couple of years that you decide or that you start to transition, it, it kind of becomes old news. Like that was just a thing that happened at one point, really. You know, uh, like the the trans experience, if, which is not some singular or solid concept exists primarily uh i think before and after transition actually um there's there's a lot of again discrepancies around like what kind of conditions trans people have before they transitioned and those kinds of things and i you know and i hear it's a lot of like turf rhetoric where Again, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the phrase TERF, it's a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. There's nothing radical about it. They just think that they're radical. Uh, TERF to them has been uh, constituted like a slur at this point, which is great. So call your local TERF a TERF today. They, but look, keep a lookout for terms like gender critical or whatever. Those are just terms. Um, anyway. There, there's a misconception around, especially trans women, that we experienced male privilege uh, before transitioning. And, you know, being read as male kind of comes with like weird, like almost auto advances, uh, you know, into like these strange fraternity sp like spaces. Um, you know, but I never involved myself really in in those. I you know I attempted to avoid them at all possible uh, all possible because they're just gross and and like you know I just don't like being around a bunch of men who are making really creepy jokes about women like constantly. It's like you know you, you really you really have no idea like how uh, I th I think even uh, cis women really have no idea how many things are said about them behind closed doors in spaces where there aren't uh, supposedly aren't women. And, and I experienced this sort of thing uh, while I was at DePaul with the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not making like a call out or anything like that. Uh, and you know, and I experienced this at Ball State too. I experienced this everywhere, literally everywhere where if I was in a space where I was perceived as male and nobody knew I was trans or, you know, you, you part of, I just, I just got used to begrudgingly the idea that people are going to be saying a lot of weird, disparaging shit about, uh, about women. And, uh, you know, now I kind of carry a lot of those messages with me and it's kind of weird where I see some of the same people who then, you know, kind of 180 into being, um, it, it feels performative, uh, of being performatively supportive of me now. Yeah, trans women don't experience male privilege. It's it's not a privilege to have to pretend to be something you're not for years and years under a, again, suffocating level of oppression, you know, and, and while you're just getting more and more depressed and, and more and more dysphoric and, 
more angry. Like I was just like a very angry person because I just like felt trapped and, and uninformed and um you know there was just like a point in my life where I th- I feel like I was just like becoming a very hard to be around person just because I just like I couldn't deal with anything around me so I was very hostile of, of a lot of things and and it wasn't until I realized that there's actually help available for somebody like me and there's vocabulary for somebody like me and there's you know avenues and 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 all these things to take that could you know help alleviate this constant discomfort that that i'd always feel and and if i knew that i had those much sooner i you know like you 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 were want to wonder how your life could have been but then that ends up just being this like terribly sad exercise and you know and I've, i think i've like wasted enough like nights like crying uh about that kind of shit so it's like transition then ends up being a very both magical kind of and and awful experience (laughs) in a lot of ways because you're having to readjust and you're uh you're literally going uh through uh if, if you're medically transitioning um you're literally having to go through puberty again um, as an adult, but you don't have the same, you know, institutions where that can be vented safely. <laughs> um, and you're having to experience all these things anew that, you know, like like basic stuff, like just like how do I dress now? How do how do I do my hair? Like how do I dry my hair now that it's longer? Um, you know, oh, I'm supposed to brush it all the time now. And, and you know, like, and you know, and it, it's, it, it becomes this exploration of like, you know, what would have I have been, you know, taught and like, should I kind of like go through those motions and what parts of it are actually relevant? You're just like sifting through so much new and old information. Um, I, you know, I kept a journal the whole time I was transitioning and it's like, 300 something pages of like rambling <laughs> uh basically like uh some of it gets real dark uh other parts of it are very positive you know and and, and uh it's just like a lot to have to go through let alone being a musician you know, you know like i'm i'm lucky that i was just able to focus on something else you know as, as as hard as it was to to be thinking about anything else um i at least was still you know practicing and writing music and i still had this degree that i needed to finish and uh and all those things yeah i mean because i did transition in grad school uh while i was in my jazz studies program so that also had kind of some some of its unique challenges um you know i came out to a couple of professors relatively early on um because frankly i wasn't that close to the other students there at the time and i meant to keep things kind of under the hat i realized people were trying to be like supportive but i think word got around a little quicker than i wanted it to at least among the professorship and uh, staff um and you know i think that they were like gearing up to be ready to be supportive or something like that which was okay you know if <laughs> if they're gonna go 
under the table about this. Like, at least they went under the table in a pos- positive question mark sense. Because <laughs> I remember getting invited to this, like, this forum for diversity, you know, that was like, supposed to be a dialogue between students and, and, and staff. And, and I'm like, why did they invite me? Because <laughs> I wasn't out yet. And, uh, and then, you know, and then I was like, ah, oh, somebody spilled the beans. Those beans were supposed to stay in the barrel. <laughs> What'd you do with those beans? Uh, so I was real, I was actually kind of annoyed about the beans. <laughs> And, uh, you know, but I still went to the meeting because I'm like, all right, well, you know, but but like I, I went to the meeting and I like I couldn't say anything. I was so like I was just stiff as a board. Like I couldn't uh, I couldn't bring myself to like weigh in on the conversation because as far as I was concerned, like I was showing up there as a, as a cis, uh, cis het male or at least um, had identified myself as a gay male just because it felt like a compromise in a weird way there's a lot of weird shit that you end up doing when you're like um dealing with gender dysphoria and trying to rationalize it to yourself you know like i was never a gay man (laughs) you know but it seems safer and that's it's a weird i'm not the only person who had ever you know kind of um did that but uh went that route but um anyway so so i was at this this meeting and i uh eventually was asked a direct question like devin do you have anything to say well okay um you know my experience at depaul in some ways you know and they're making hats off to depaul they've been making a lot of really positive changes lately um i i still will quickly call them out on being uh, a majority white institution and that is a serious problem uh but they did um make steps towards making the environment much more queer friendly sort of i could speak more on that uh but i'm still in this meeting and i keep getting sidetracked um anyway i just i basically just told them that at the time like you know there's an awful lot of like conservative backwards thinking that ends up getting you know spilled over into the jazz community uh especially within the universities where it's like you know we're do we're spending so much time like in this like 1950s mindset as artists that i think that that kind of attracts a certain type of person and some of those types of people uh were there the stiflingness that comes with uh prejudice uh i think also stifles the the prejudiced uh in their ability to be self-expressive because it narrows their ability to even perceive their self um, and how they fit in the greater scheme of society and humanity so i was just talking about that and then i very slowly like was like i paused i was like am i gonna say this all right fuck it um it's like you know i've been keeping um you know it under the hat that about my gender identity and and uh you know and i felt like i've been having to do a lot of testing the waters to see whether or not it's really even safe for me to to come out and uh thankfully the you know and i was really pleased with the the response uh of that um they were they were immediately like yes you know see that's that's the huge problem is there's this massive like oppressive force here and we're supposed to be an institution of creativity 
and um, you know, and how those two things just don't go hand in hand. You know, and that, that's like it, it comes down to like the very essence of like what is what is music for? Um, you know, it's it's communicative. It's it's a society and a culture, and and it's a and it's a language, and you know, and while it you know languages can be as distinct as Japanese and German. Yeah, there's still a way to, you know, cr uh, cross culturally, you know, interact and, and interact within your own cultures. And, you know, I mean, just look at thinking about, you know, Japan, incredible uh, Irish folk music scene there. And they have an amazing jazz scene in, in Japan. They have some really great prog rock bands over that way, like Trico and. I don't know if they pronounce it uh, Tidico, uh, um, but like, uh, uh, and uh, oh, I'm missing, uh, Toe, yeah, T-O-E, this is awesome prog rock band. Anyway, no, I, I like, I think like assimilating each other's like languages is part of how, how this all, uh, like is jazz, you know, is music, is uh, you know, it's why bossa nova is, you know, not just a Brazilian art form now. It's a global phenomenon because it incorporate, incorporated American jazz, came back to the U.S. And, uh, and you know, and then those sounds spread. You know, it's it, like the black diaspora in music uh, is everywhere. And being able to acknowledge how these diasporas you know, spread and, and become integrated into society and the respect that they demand and, you know, deserve. And it allows us to, a, a means in which to be able to have respectful dialogue with one another based on celebrations of our differences. And, and, and so it's like, you can't have that if we're not celebrating the things that make ourselves different. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. I think there's good stuff there. Man, so good. So, so good. So we're going to end with one question, one final question for you. And that is, what is on your music stand this week? And how are you diversifying your stand? So this week, I got some socks. So uh, there's an actual music stand in the video with Devin. And there are clothing, this clothing on the music stand. Yeah, lots of, they're drying. Hanging <laughs> clothes and flat clothes. There's a, a multitude, a, quite the variety <laughs> uh, on, on your music, on your actual music stand. My music stand's primor, primary um, use is a, is a drying rack for my clothes. Uh, but, but I guess like on my metaphorical music stand, which uh, exists as a file in my computer, uh, I, uh, a lot of Bach. So I'm not, you know, old, old dead white guy, but I've been reading a lot of Bach uh, violin uh, sonatas and partias, like uh, real slow tempos. This is really good with finger dexterity uh, on, on mandolin. Ways, I guess, I'm diversifying my uh, stand. I just finished a, a concert that was part of the Ear Taxi Festival in Chicago um, with, with my ensemble Fire Thief, and we um, had a whole uh, a roster of uh, music written by Latinx composers. And uh, you know, among them, Inti Figus Bisueta, um, David Mendoza. I, I wish that we could have um, 
played some of the more electroacoustic pieces as well. It was really fun. It was a lot of like guided improvisation pieces. I, I don't usually do like a lot of like new music or like noise music kind of things. It was just super fun to be able to go quack. Wow. <laughs> just like fucked up stuff. Wow. Um, anyway, yeah, so. Devin, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to Diversify the Stand. I'm Ashley. And I'm Carrie. If you'd like to support us and our projects, find us on social media and visit our website. We now have a store where you can pick up some Diversify the Stand gear. And as always, a huge thank you to Trevor Weston and Whitney George for allowing us to use their compositions in our podcast. The musical introduction is Trevor's trumpet duet, Fanfare for Changes, and the ending music is Whitney's Incantations for Trumpet and Piano. Both composers' websites are listed in the podcast description. Until next week, what's on your stand?